Welcome back to Jorge and John Talk About Soccer. We are through the round of 16 and into the quarterfinals. Only seven matches left in this tournament. Eight if you count the third place game, but let's not. We've got four games to recap for you, the last four of the round of 16, and then all four quarterfinal games to preview. I am John Block, joined, as always, by Jorge de Neve. It's almost done. It's incredible how front-heavy the World Cup is, and no one really realizes that. That's true. We were getting three games every day for two-plus weeks, and now we've got a couple days off. We've got... And, you know, four games over two days and then some more days off. It, it, it thins out a little bit. Hopefully the, the quality goes up to compensate for that. But we shall see. Certainly not all the round of 16 games have been exciting, as we'll get into. So let's start off with, with one game that I would say it did have some excitement to it. Not the most exciting game we're going to talk about, but, but a pretty good game. I would say as a neutral fan, maybe, maybe not as much for you. And that is Brazil's 2-0 win over Mexico. Yeah, it was fine. I think the first half was better for Mexico because I think they were a little more energetic. They wanted to make up for the the loss against Sweden. And they, they tried to press Brazil in a similar way they did Germany, and it worked. And then they ran out of steam, and I think the second half, Brazil just wore them down. And a, a pretty, pretty goal between Neymar and William, and then the second one just came when Mexico got caught on the counter. The performance wasn't bad, but I mean, going out in the round of 16, again, I think I said it a couple episodes ago, feels like it could have been avoided. Yeah, I mean, there were some questionable Osorio-esque decisions in there. I think the one that people are talking about is deciding to start Rafa Marquez, but then bringing him off after 45 minutes, after which Mexico definitely looked worse in that second half. At the same time, Rafa Marquez isn't a player who can go 90 minutes, so I'm curious if... You know, you know he can't do that, and, and you're relying on him for your game plan. It just seems impossible to really pull that off, and maybe a better decision to play, you know, put him on as a sub later in the game where he can provide that spark as opposed to having to change up what you're doing if it's going well, which it was going at least better for Mexico before he got taken off. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't so much the decision to play Marcus. It was to take off Layun. Because I, I expected Marquez to come in the lineup and play center back instead of in the midfield. So that felt weird to me to, to shake up Mexico's midfield, which has done fine. And once you take him off, he's taken off, whatever. I think the worst sub he made was bringing on Raul Jimenez, who hasn't done anything for the national team since he scored that bike against Panama in 2013. But he just looked awful. Like every touch seemed to be lost. And not only just bringing him on, but taking off your record goal scorer in, in Chicharito Hernandez. I, I just didn't get that one. And to me, that was almost throwing in the towel. Yeah, I mean, Layun didn't start. Chicharito got taken off. Maybe Osorio had something against the Mexican players who decided to dye their hair blonde. Who knows? Okay, well, that, that was a bad decision. So, like, <laughs> it shouldn't affect their playing, but they should not have dyed their hair blonde. It was, it was pretty bad. It's not a good look. Also, he came out and blamed the ref after, which I think made no sense. Because the ref was fine. I think there, there's a legit gripe to be had with, you know, especially that one instance with Neymar where, to be fair, he got stepped on and that, you know, Mexico could consider themselves lucky to, you know, get away with, with 11 men after that incident. 
at the same time, he, he was writhing on the ground as if his foot had fallen off for, you know, another two minutes, which, which was sort of ridiculous. And it's just, it's annoying to see that because clearly it's just over embellishment. So even when, you know, in that case, something did happen to him, just it, it makes you almost take the side of the, of the Mexican player who was the one who actually did something wrong. Yeah. It may have saved Layun from a, a red card, especially since it happened to ride in front of a fourth official who was also kind of stepped on by Layun in that instance. So I think he kind of looked at Neymar's reaction and was like, well, get up. But I also think in the back of the referee's mind, I think that's probably the one gripe. If Neymar had gotten that yellow card, he would have been suspended for the quarters. So I think that's kind of in the back of the ref's mind, not wanting to to maybe create a moment of controversy where they've, they've put one of the, the stars of the tournament out for the next round. It shouldn't happen, but I, I think that played a part. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. But for Brazil, more generally, I, I think they looked very good in this game. This wasn't a case where really, you know, even though Mexico was in it in the first half, I would say Brazil was still the better team then and definitely were in the second half. A- and to be honest, of all the eight teams remaining, they look like the best team left. They do. What, what I wonder is how much of that calmness and defensive solidity, because Mexico didn't really have a chance, how much of that was because Felipe Luis was in instead of Marcelo? And if Marcelo comes in, are they as solid? I still think they are because they've been great defensively all tournament, but I, it's something to think about and something to look for in their next game. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Their game against Belgium should be a good one. The other thing to note as far as Brazil's defense, not a defender himself, but someone who is very important to Brazil's defense, Casemiro, is injured. We'll, we'll talk about what that might mean for that Brazil-Belgium game when we get to it. But before that, we've got some more games to preview, starting with Belgium 3, Japan 2. A pretty amazing comeback by Belgium. I think the, the only time that a team has come back from two goals down in the second half and, and gone on to win before going to extra time ever in the World Cup. So definitely exciting to see. But, you know, we finally saw that the concerns we had about Belgium were some pretty legitimate concerns. Yeah. What Jan Vertonghen is doing for the first goal, I don't know. Because he kind of got a foot on it, but still kept it going into into the striker's path. Um, the second one, really nobody stepped out to Inui when he hit it. Courtois almost had an awful moment at the end of the first half. And I think against stout defenses, and maybe we saw it, Belgium really didn't have great chances until Fellaini came on and they just lumped balls into the box. So despite them throwing seven players forward a lot of the time, because they play three in the back, I wonder if they have enough creativity to break down a defense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely took them being two goals down and having to, to really push it before they were able to, to get Belgium. And they did have to go to that striker Fellaini method, which so many people have tried, and which it frustrates, it frustrates me how much that works. I mean, a lot of times it doesn't, but just I don't, I feel like it's such a, not like a cheat code, but it just seems disingenuous almost and it bothers me that I mean that being said Belgium you know were a lot better after after they went down 2-0 but at the same time you know they were vulnerable defensively and Japan definitely had a few chances to grab a third yeah it's it's one of those the Fellaini method and it happens with Manchester United too you see a team with all sorts of creative 
technically gifted players and they resort to, you know, dumping balls into the box for this guy who really is only good for heading the ball. So it just hurts. But it works. They need to get results. They're a knockout tournament. They managed to win 3-2. And I, I know a lot of people are giving Belgium credit, but none of that happens, in my opinion, if Kawashima can punch the ball clear before Belgium's first corner. I literally think I was tweeting, Kawashima is really suspect. And then Vertonghen's looping header went over him into the far corner. And I think I was just mashing the tweet button because it applied so, so well. But he, for how great he was against Poland, he couldn't catch a thing against Belgium. Yeah, he, he definitely struggled a lot. That that punch before Vertonghen's goal w- was pretty bad, to say the least. And he definitely was not as good in a much more important game than that Poland one, which they lost regardless. Uh, obviously, it was important as far as not conceding again for them to advance to the knockout stage in the first place. At, at the same time, though, Japan is a team I, I was impressed by. I, I think, you know, there were some gripes about them getting in ahead of Senegal, who looked better in the group, a lot of people would say. But but they, they played well. Takashi Inui, again, he, he didn't start the Poland game, as many Japanese players didn't, who, who were normally in the starting 11. But he looked really good, ended up getting a, a pretty nice outside-of-the-box goal. Kagawa was good. Overall, just an impressive performance by the Japanese team being positive, which I, I think a lot of teams in their situation wouldn't have done. Yeah, I didn't expect them to be positive. And I think what's getting lost in the shuffle is that they almost had the winner um, with the Honda free kick, which wasn't spinning. It was just knuckling everywhere, and Courtois was not comfortable enough to try and catch it, even though it wasn't that far away from him. So they had their chances, and they looked much better than they did in the group. Um, but then they let themselves five on three in the last minute, which is something you just can't do. Yeah, it, it was almost a little overly ambitious. They got that late set piece. I, I'm pretty sure it was a corner, and it just, they put too many men forward. They should, you know, Belgium is, with those players there, they're a very good counterattacking team, and they showed it. You know, Courtois caught the cross and then just laid it forward, and within three, maybe four passes, the ball was in the back of the net. Yeah, that's what it was. I think it was De Bruyne played it wide right. I forget who crossed it in. But it was a great dummy from Lukaku. It, it was, and the run to create space from him as well. People have been giving him credit, which, which doesn't always happen for a player who doesn't actually get a goal or, or an assist, but Lukaku has deservingly gotten some for this goal scored by Nasser Chadley, of all people, who... I, it was a strange sub when he came on for Carrasco. It seemed like a like-for-like sub that really wasn't going to change anything, but he ended up scoring the winner. So I guess can't fault it too much. Yeah, I wonder if he starts because Carrasco looked a touch slow, and I think that's a result of him being in in China. Yeah, it could be. But moving on, we've got Sweden 1, Switzerland nil. Sweden moving on to the quarterfinals. The first two games of this second half of the round of 16, more exciting this one, pretty boring. Yeah. It, it's how I expected it to go. It's how both teams kind of play. I contend that Switzerland was the most boring team of the 32 in the field. I was vindicated with this game. They really didn't create much. Sommer made a couple good saves, but, I mean, the Swedes did what they've done all tournament. They went, got a goal, lucky deflection, shut it down at the back, used their their physicality and Switzerland 
just couldn't put it together. Yeah, I mean, Switzerland controlled a lot of the possession, but most of that possession was just sort of passing it around the sides, and then, you know, they'd give it to Shakiri, who'd put in a decent-looking cross usually, but, you know, Sweden is, you know, they've got Lindelof and Gronkvist at the back who've been playing well, especially Gronkvist, and they just they, it didn't really bother them, that strategy from Switzerland. They, they got that goal, Emil Forsberg, Credited with the goal because it was on target, but but really that deflection off a Kanji Switzerland center back just looped it over Jan Sommer. Whereas if he hadn't touched it, that was going right to Sommer. But I mean, that's that's Sweden created the better chances, I would say, regardless of, of whether that goal goes in or not. So you got to say, even though Switzerland controlled the possession, Sweden was the deserving winner in that game, even if it was pretty boring and, and negative from Sweden for most of the game. And yeah, Switzerland. I've said it before, I'll say it again. They're such a like, round of 16 and out team, and they performed exactly to expectations. I think you mentioned Sweden had the better chances. There was Olsen who got in behind right at the end as well when Switzerland were pushing for a goal. Um, so we'll see if they can continue it against England, who were battered against Colombia, ended up winning in penalties, but... Despite England finally winning a penalty shootout, that to me wasn't the story of the game. Nope. Uh, this this the story of the game really was just how ugly it was, how contentious it got. You know, both teams really chewing off the ear of referee Mark Geiger from the United States. And whatever the referee is part of the story in a game, it's generally not a good sign. And that's the case here. You know, it, it seemed to be getting out of control. And then Mark Geiger decided, okay, I'm just going to give a yellow card at every foul. But then he stopped doing that. So it was just an inconsistent performance from him. And I think he's probably deserving of at least some of the criticism he's been getting for it. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a good game, but it was fascinating just seeing the way everyone behaved. And what set the Colombians off was the blatant Harry Maguire dive that didn't get a yellow. I've never seen a defender dive that well, honestly, because I don't really consider David Luiz a defender because he's not very good at it. But uh, it was just one of those games where they were resorting to kicking and gamesmanship and flopping and everything in between and just getting in the face of the referee. There was the, the headbutt incident with Jordan Henderson in the first half. I think it was Wilmar Barrios that got away with it. It it had everything, really, except quality play. And then what no one's going to talk about is that first half of extra time, um, the throw-in from Ashley Young that Harry Maguire just was not looking at. And Carlos Baca put it in the back of the net and got called back for a second ball distracting Harry Maguire, but it wasn't on the field. So I think it should have stood. Yeah, the, the ball was definitely off by the time Ashley Young threw it in. I, I think the the other argument you could make is that once the like as soon as the ball was intercepted by I don't think it was Carlos Baca, it was another Colombian player on the wing, Quadrado maybe, but Mark Geiger blew blew the play dead and so you kinda say, Yeah, that should have been allowed to keep going, but at the same time had the because the whistle blew before the play was completed, and while you know it wasn't a guarantee that Colombia would put it in the back of the net, it, it's a little more suspect to say, "Oh, Colombia should definitely have gotten a goal there." At the same time, I do think there's something to be said for 
you know, there was no actual reason to blow the play dead since there was, you know, there was there weren't two balls on the field at the time, and Harry Maguire just hadn't focused when he should have been. So, I mean, England did get a little lucky there. Yeah, it, it was just a weird, weird game. And it, it's one that missed James Rodriguez, who just makes Colombia that much better. And I think Colombia came out defensively because they knew they didn't have their guy. He wasn't going to be available, period. Um, and a, a lot of times their spacing wasn't great. They got bunched up on one side of the field. Um, the passing wasn't as fluid. What was disappointing was England sticking to their five in the back when they knew Colombia was not going to be as dangerous going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say England didn't look too bad defensively, which they hadn't been tested all that much so far. So credit to them for that. At the same time, they really didn't do much offensively. And Colombia were certainly not at their best. And I think Hamas being out is a big reason for that. So, I mean... England, they've got, we'll get to it, but they've got a not-too-difficult game in Sweden in that they've got another team that isn't going to test them all that much offensively. Or with Sweden's offense, England won't be tested too much defensively. But if England plays, you know, five in the back like they do, I don't know how they're going to break down a more robust Sweden defense. Yeah. Um, quick shout-out to Yeri Mina for scoring in three straight games this World Cup. He finished one short of Ronaldo and more than Messi. He's got six goals in 15 career appearances for Colombia, which is an insane... It's a small sample size, but that's an insane goal record for a center back. Helps that he's 6'5". It it does help. Um, But I guess one last note on England-Colombia. Obviously, England winning on penalties is a pretty historic moment for that team, given their very poor record in in penalties in the past. But also, these penalties from England, they didn't just win, they were actually good penalties, and the other penalty shootouts we've seen have been full of bad ones, so it was impressive to see a team actually, you know, fire the ball into the corner or into the top of the net. Yeah, even even the one that was saved by Ospina from Henderson was, was a pretty good penalty. And I'd say... With the exception of maybe Carlos Bacas, which was kind of down the middle, Pickford still made a good save. But I think that was the only bad penalty of the bunch. Everyone else stuck him away coolly. And Uribe was just unlucky to hit the bar. Yeah. But we will now move on to some quarterfinal previews. We talked a bit about England, Sweden, so I would say, even though that's a little later, let's just continue talking about that. Anything else to add besides, you know, Sweden is probably going to be more defensive and England is going to have to find a way to be more offensive? What what else is going on in that game? Set pieces are going to be huge. Because, I mean, you look at England, the, the goal they conceded today, they managed to let a 6-5 man run free. And you look at Sweden, they're, they're a big tall, strong team. And if they get set pieces, they're going to be very dangerous. I question whether England can really handle them. Yeah, I mean, I do think that that's a good way for Sweden to score, even though they... There are other ways for them to score, too. I think that Sweden... I wouldn't be surprised if they have chances like they did against Switzerland, because I think 
as England controls possession and Sweden's going to let them control possession, they'll probably push up a little more. I mean, in this in the England-Columbia game, you saw, you know, whether it was Kyle Walker or Harry Maguire, like, kind of push up the field a bit and take the ball forward. So I, I think that because England will be so comfortable in possession and Sweden will play so far back, that there will be some room on the counter. And I think Sweden has, has proved that they're capable of taking advantage of that space. Also, I think Kyle Walker especially, but, but the England defense has, has been a little bit sloppy at the back. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised if there's a giveaway or something like that that leads to a Sweden goal. I mean, England, I would, I would pick over Sweden, but I, I think it's not going to be that clear-cut because I just don't see England really being able to break Sweden down that well. And even most of the goals they've gotten so far this tournament have been, you know, set pieces, which Sweden is going to defend very well, or, you know, some like lucky deflection or something like that, which you can't really rely on. Yeah, it's going to be very tight. I think a lot of people are going to see this as an easy game when in reality it's not. And the last thing I'll say is if if the history of this game is anything to go by, there's going to be some crazy good goal that's going to come from the randomest time. So I'm, I'm on the lookout for that. We shall see, but moving on and moving back a bit to the first quarterfinal game that's going to take place. Uruguay, France. This is a game where both teams have, you know, done fairly well. Uruguay probably a little better. France with that four, three win over Argentina in the round of 16. Uruguay with a win of their own over Portugal. Both these teams have weaknesses, but I think they're very different weaknesses with Uruguay. It's that midfield being, you know, not especially creative and them kind of having to play more direct to Cavani and Suarez. With France, it's them being a bit more suspect defensively. Obviously, they gave up three goals to Argentina. Which do you think is the weakness that'll doom a team to not winning this game? Well, I, I really think that depends on whether Cavani is fit or not. If Cavani plays, the Uruguay midfield issue is less of a big deal because they're able to play direct the same way they have all tournament. They have Suarez and Cavani running off each other, and it's just a nightmare for um, for Titi and Varane, neither of whom at the club level are used to being the leader at the back because they played next to Ramos and Pique at Real and Barcelona. However, if Cavani doesn't play, then they only really have to worry about one world-class striker, and Uruguay's midfield takes on a lot more creative responsibility. So I think that that injury and whether Cavani can play or not affects how this game will play out and both teams' strategies. Yeah, I mean, I I would say... That I, I said this before, but I think Cavani will play even if he's not 100%. I just, it doesn't seem like his injury is quite serious enough for him to, to sit out. Who knows? But that's what I suspect. I do think that Uruguay's midfield not being all that creative is going to be a problem if only because the, the French midfield is um, full of players that can just wear them down. And, you know, you've got Pogma in there. Matuidi is suspended, but, you know, Conte. Is just he without a creative midfield that Conte is free to mark one of Cavani and Suarez, and so I think that between Varane and Umtiti, and then adding Conte onto that because he doesn't really have to worry about the Uruguayan midfield as much, that really helps with the French defense. 
That being said, I, I mean, the French defense has been suspect, so it's hard to say whether they will be able to be successful as far as logging down Uruguay. And I don't know that any teams have been as talented at, at playing direct as Uruguay are, who France have played so far this World Cup. So it'll be a challenge for them. It's one that, that is certainly riskier in that the, the Uruguayan midfield is probably not going to give up any goals to their lack of creativity, whereas the, the French defense certainly can. But I do think that, that Conte being there and having a little more freedom to, to work against the strikers is going to help. Yeah, and you mentioned Matuidi being suspended as well. What's been interesting about that is the two games where they've looked the best, Matuidi's played on the left wing. Now, who comes in to replace him, I think, dictates also how France want to play. If it's Ousmane Dembele, then they're going straight at Uruguay, running at them one-on-one, playing with speed. If it's someone more like Thomas Lamar, they're going to try to keep possession, wear down that midfield, and then hopefully play combinations past Jimenez and Godin, who have been, as you'd expect, outstanding. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be tough regardless for France to break them down. I, I think it, it really comes to which defense performs better or which defense is able to manage what the, the opponent brings better because I, I think France are going to have more, at least a, a higher variety of things to offer offensively than Uruguay will. You know, if France's defense can just lock down Cavani and Suarez, I think that's enough, whereas... You know, if you're Uruguay, you've got to stop, you know, Giroud on, on set pieces and crosses and things like that. But then you've got to stop Griezmann as well. You've got to stop the speed of Kylian Mbappe. So there's a lot more you have to do. I think the Uruguayan defense is more talented and is definitely better organized. But, but we'll see if they're up, up to the probably more difficult task of stopping France. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I'm actually going to pick Uruguay if Cavani plays, which I think he will. I, I'm... Pretty undecided. I, I think I'm rooting for Uruguay because they've looked, they've been a more enjoyable team for me. Even though you know their first couple of games they were fairly negative. I, I think just between Cavani and Suarez and how well Godin and Jimenez have played, I think that's something people probably aren't talking about enough. I, I think I, I would like to see them go through. Yeah. Moving on, the other quarterfinal of that day, Friday afternoon, Belgium Brazil. We've talked about them a little bit, but what is this game going to be the attacking masterclass that maybe we would have expected before the tournament? So masterclass is not the word I would use. I do expect there to be a lot of goals. I don't know that all these goals are going to come from, you know, beautiful attacking play, but I think there are going to be a lot of goals. I think Belgium's defense is too suspect to not give up goals to a Brazilian attack that has looked better as the tournament has progressed. Coutinho has been good. Neymar is playing better. You know, obviously his antics are a problem, but, but he otherwise looked very good in the game against Mexico, scored a goal. Willian was great against Mexico as well. I mean, you could say Gabriel Jesus has, has been disappointing. I, I would say that. And maybe you play Firmino instead of him, but, but regardless, you know, there's so many attacking options there that, that it, does, it honestly doesn't even matter that much. So I, I think Brazil, just there's no way they don't score against this Belgium team. And honestly, you know, Brazil's defense has been a whole lot better than Belgium's. 
But, you know, Belgium also just have so much attacking talent. And at some point, like we saw in the Japan game, you know, if they're behind, they're going to turn on the Jets at, at some point and, you know, really go for it. And I, I think no matter what defense you are, when you're Belgium and you've got that team, it, it's going to be hard to stop you from scoring goals. Yeah, and I think that's how, kind of how I've seen Belgium's strategy. Uh, we are so good attacking that we don't have to play defense. I don't think it's true, but it's, it's what they've been doing. And, I mean, you look at the attacks they've played. They've played Japan. They've played Tunisia. They've played Panama. And then, like, England's B team, but that game doesn't count. And now they're playing Brazil. So they're going to get torched in the back. And it's not even going to be funny. But now there's no Casemiro for Brazil. And it'll be Fernandinho and for all the qualities Fernandinho has, he's not quite as good of a defender as Casemiro. So I think that creates space for De Bruyne, Witzel, maybe Moussa Dembele if he plays. So I agree with you. There's going to be a lot of goals. But at this point, I think it maybe comes down to the goalkeepers and Brazil is the better one. Yeah, I mean, Alisson really had a really good season this past year with, with Roma. No disrespect to Courtois, just Premier League keepers have not had good tournament, uh, good tournament this World Cup. They've been terrible. They just haven't. They've been absolutely horrific. I mean, with the exception of maybe Pickford, who actually looked pretty good today. You look at De Gea, and then the two Chelsea keepers. You've got Courtois and Willy. Neither have looked very good. Yeah, I mean, uh, Spina has not been great, especially after that fake him getting kicked in the face, which was not a good look. I mean, you know, he he didn't ruin a game for Colombia, but, but he didn't do anything spe- spectacular either. He, and he's out of the tournament now regardless. So, yeah, I think that'll make a difference. I, I also think, you know, Belgium's defense will, or Brazil's defense, rather, will give up goals to Belgium. But I, I can't see Belgium stopping Brazil at all. So I think, you know, maybe Belgium get a couple, but, like, I could honestly see Brazil go for four or more goals. I just think it'll be an offensive game, but Brazil just, are going to be even better offensively just because of Belgium's defense. And I think that they'll win it for that reason more than the goalkeepers, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. And this is probably the game for Neymar to get hot with not a lot of defense in front of him. And he's been looking better and better and better as the tournament's gone on. Um, I still think they're going to win it all. Yeah, it it certainly seems like if you had to pick a team, that's the team I'd pick at the moment. On the other hand, the other side of the bracket, the team you might pick plays Russia, and that, that is Croatia. That is the final quarterfinal game that will be played. I, I mean, Croatia have looked good. They are in the quarterfinals. They've got a matchup against a worse team in Russia than they are, so they've got, you know, if the better team wins, Croatia will make the semifinal, which you know is definitely a good performance from them, and, you know, who knows? They could definitely make the final. It's only one game away from the semifinal. That being said, they haven't been extremely exciting, you know, breaking teams down the way, you know, maybe Brazil have more recently or France have more recently. We haven't seen exactly that from Croatia, except maybe against Argentina, and that was Argentina's worst game, I would say, in a tournament where all their games were pretty bad. So I kind of expect this to be a snooze fest. Yeah. um, Croatia's been good. But 
they looked good against Argentina and okay enough to advance in the other three matches. Um, Modric got his penalty miss out of the way, so that's fine. I don't know if they're going to get another one anyway, but he's done that. What I'm more disappointed about is the fact that it is Russia and not Spain because Russia is just going to go kill another game, and they're going to play the same way, and they might get another result about it. I, I do think that Croatia is a little more mentally tough than Spain is, and I think their manager is less likely to make unnecessary changes like you know pulling Andres Iniesta from the starting lineup, which I didn't quite get. But I, it may be the most boring game of the quarters, and they play before Sweden-England. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think that, that, you know, I talk mostly about Croatia, but Russia is really the impetus for why this game would be boring. I just don't know that, that Sweden are, are incisive enough to break them down easily. I think it, a lot more is going to be on Mandzukic's shoulders. He, he got a pretty lucky goal in that game against Denmark. I think he's going to have to be really solid with his hold-up play, really solid in the box if, you know, Croatia are going to break down this Russian team. And for Russia, I think it's the same strategy it was against Spain. You really just try to nick a goal, which I think is going to be harder, to be honest, because Croatia has been pretty organized defensively this whole tournament. Credit to them. And, you know, maybe you hope for penalties. If you're Russia, I don't want to see a boring game go to penalties here, but I honestly think, you know, if I had to bet on something, that's what I'd bet on. Yeah, it's a very real possibility, especially because Russia, you know, is just going to deny the ball to Luka Modric and Ivan Rakitic. So it's going to fall on a lot of the other players who are really inconsistent, especially Ivan Perisic, who is probably the most talented of the other creative players. But, I mean, you never know which one you're going to get from him. Croatia is going to, going to put in a shift. They're going, to, they're going to push a little bit more. They're going to be attacking in a, in a sense. I mean, they're going to be more attacking than Russia, at least. But... If Modric and Rakitic are being denied the ball constantly, I really don't know if they can break Russia down. Yeah, I, I will say Rebic, who plays on the right wing for Croatia, ha- has looked pretty good over the past few games for them. So I, I'd expect, you know, Perisic, obviously a more talented player, but but Rebic has a chance to, to make a play, I think. Russia are definitely less less defensively stout on the on the wings i think if, if you got a, a good winger who can kind of break into the box that way i think even spain was able to do that a couple times so I, i'd expect you know if rebic and like you said perisic are able to do that then that might be a way croatia can do it but i, I really do think the impetus more than anything comes down to Mandzukic because because i agree that russia's first thought is going to be to deny Modric the ball especially and, and then rakitic as well hopefully russia comes out and surprises us but Probably not. I would be very surprised. Any last thoughts from you, Jorge, before we, we head to the quarters? Just rip Mark Geiger, really. The poor guy got blasted. I think a lot of it rightfully so. He's not doing anything more this tournament. Poor guy. He was the only American representation. That's true. I will say it would not surprise me if FIFA mess of an organization that they are somehow decided, oh, Mark Heiger did a good job and rewarded him with, with you know, a game later in the tournament. I, I would believe it, to be honest. 
So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe he'll, he'll be rewarded for his performance. You know, it's FIFA, so you never know. Yeah, Twitter would explode. I kind of hope it happens. I'd love to see Twitter explode. Always, always fun and also always terrible. <laughs> but that'll do it for this episode. We'll be back with another episode after the quarters to talk about them and preview the semis. Uh, until then, enjoy the World Cup. Have a fun July 4th or don't. I don't really care. <laughs> see ya.